I'm Mark Gagan, and you're listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling enterprise-scale underwriting through a single pane of glass. What an absolute blast this episode was to record. I often interview irrepressible, energetic and ultra-enthusiastic executives on the podcast. It goes with the territory after all. Indeed, I've had both of today's guests on the show before. But there's something about bringing them together that caused sparks to fly and brought a different dynamic into play. David Howden of Howden Group and Rod Fox of Tiger Risk Partners are both founders of their respective businesses and are two of the most successful broking entrepreneurs of their generation. The two are combining their firms in an M&A deal that is creating a highly credible challenger reinsurance broker to the big three. This podcast is almost like a metaphor for what they're trying to achieve together. One and one seem to add up to quite more than two, and both were already larger than life before we started. No questions were off the table. It's all here. There's nothing left out. You probably know David and Rod already, but in case you don't, Rod is the first one to speak. Enjoy the podcast. This episode is supported by Oxbow Partners. Oxbow Partners is a management consulting business specialising in the London, Bermuda and European insurance and reinsurance markets. In fact, in 2021 and 2022, they were named one of the top 10 consultancies in the sector by the Financial Times. It's fascinating speaking to the team about the kinds of topics they're supporting. Helping reinsurers take a strategic view of their operating models. Designing smart follow syndicates in the Lloyds market and developing ESG responses. The company's strapline talks about giving executives a fresh perspective. So if you're keen to understand the challenges and opportunities coming down the track for your business, I'd recommend giving the team at Oxbow Partners a call. So Rod and David, welcome to The Voice of Insurance. Pleasure to be here, Mark. Yeah, thanks for having us. Congratulations on this mega reinsurance broking deal. When this is completed, you're going to be the number four reinsurance broker in the world. That's a big deal. That's still actually quite a long way off where Benfield was when we last had a really obvious, clear number four. And obviously, you know quite a lot about Benfield. Rod, what are your growth plans for this business? Do you think it will require significant new investment, even after the amount that you spent on acquiring Tiger? Benfield was a wonderful business. They really built a great business. I don't think we're going to be that far off Benfield from a size perspective when we put the two businesses together. And as we started to build Tiger... We looked for the best qualities of different brokers through history and took things from Benfield, took things from other brokers and tried to put them all together ourselves. So I think Tiger's got a wonderful franchise. Putting it together with Howden is going to make it even better. And I think you're going to see a version 2.0 of the combined business coming out. And we will continue to invest as we go forward because there's a huge runway ahead of us. You've got a really big runway. You're going to be able to expand really quickly without having any conflicts and in the way that maybe a guy carpenter or an Aeon broker have to keep looking. So, well, hang on a minute. Can I pitch on this deal because will I be conflicted in somewhere else? You'll be able to go for everything. Does that mean you will go for everything? I mean, are you likely to be trying to compete everywhere or are you going to stick with niches when you first start? The combined businesses are all going to be something really different and offer opportunity and choice. Clearly that's the clients because, you know, this industry has got to be focused on its clients. Absolutely. It's still a talent out there. And, you know, Rod has built Tiger Race from the ground up. We've built Howden from the ground up by attracting talent. And I think the really exciting thing about Tiger and Howden coming together is there's now a really credible alternative talent. That merry-go-round of the three places to be, that's gone. 
you know, I, you say there's number four. I think it's a new numero uno personally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, everyone wants to be with us now. We're the place that people want to be. We're the talent wants to be. And I think you're right. I think there's the old thing of if I leave one to go to the other, where I'm next. Now there's something new and fresh to join. We've got huge opportunity to build that business out. It's not going to be so much around M&A. You know, I think the timing together of what Rod built and what we've built, that is the deal. There aren't another 50 reinsurance brokers out about there. But all the huge opportunities for us to really bring in skill and the diverse set of skill and encourage people to come with new product, absolutely. So you've paid for Tiger. You're going to be continuing to invest in this business, but in people to add to the Howden Tiger operation. Yes. And just going back a little bit, you said it when we sat down today, there's an energy when you walk in the Howden office in London and people gravitate to that. And I think that's what's going to happen. And I had a major market figure the other day who's congratulating us on the transaction who said, you know why I'm excited about it, Rod? Because you will bring the energy. That combined firm will bring more energy and that's what the market needs. And David's done it historically and I think this combined business will be fantastic. Yeah, you're right about the energy. Just for context, we're sitting in the Howden offices, and, and this is just a week before Monte Carlo. The city of London's really quiet, as, as it has now become in the post-pandemic world, but everything's going on in the Howden reception. There's a filming going on. There are people wandering around. There, there's, there's like a kind of conference happening. There's an art collection. There's, <laughs> you know, statues of dogs. There's people working hard. It's people running, people running, running, and, running and yeah. smiling and laughing yeah. and having a good time and enjoying it, yeah. So it's going to be more of an organic build, Investing in people, in new people, maybe bringing new teams and obviously backing the people you've already got. And you say not really M&A. What do you think about the dynamics now? We had this great unleashing of investment in reinsurance broking, which was really, I would say the starting pistol was obviously the Aon Willis, now abortive bid, first announced two and a half years ago. That really kind of fired the starting gun on all this investment in reinsurance broking, where challenger brokers saw an opportunity to dislodge some of the talent at the big three. Do you think it's now game over for some of those fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth tier reinsurance brokers? And when you say no M&A, you could pick some of them off, couldn't you, if they're not working? When Rod and I were talking about this deal, it, it happened fast and, and we knew it was the right deal to do at the right time. I think that was critical. And you, you referenced, you know, that some of the dynamics going on in the market. And I think that opportunity to create something really different is here and now. And I think the coming together is going to be very powerful. Does that mean there's never going to be opportunities to get insurance? No, I don't. I think we need challenges, Rod. I'm sure you right. agree. We, we need yeah. dynamics in our market. You need disruptors. And this business does move in cycles. So there's consolidation and then some disruptors are formed. They're consolidated. I don't think the death of the Aon Willis merger is the death knell for some of those challengers. It's can they build a great business in this marketplace with the right talent? There will continue to be M&A over time. As we sit here today, we feel very comfortable building it organically unless the right opportunity arises. I think what's going to be more challenging for a challenger is building that distribution. Because I think that if you look at it over a period of time, been now 30 years now we've built. And the exciting thing about Howden and Tiger coming together, it's not just about reinsurance this market. It's absolutely not. It's about the whole offering to the ultimate clients and what's the relevance of the insurance market. And if you look at the way we position the business, it's right inside the broking business. It's the width of this business. 
And there's plenty of depth, but across the MGA spectrum, specialty broking, global retail, it's a very wide business that can continue to go deeper across the world. You've made an announcement about Sabre. So this is bringing together all your MGA supporting brokerage operations. Tell us more about it. It's literally just hot off the press this morning. You know this. We're big, big believers in the MGA. I mean, obviously, when we've got Jewel, which well, yeah. is part of You know, Mark, you were part of those roots, all those years. You know, Jewel's a near 2.5 billion MGA now. So we're big believers in that. You can see it's a huge growth market. MGAs have brought a lot of the entrepreneurial dynamism, you know, innovation into our market. You can see that whether it's in cyber, whether it's in, you know, renewables, lots of areas. And you see the growth in that. So what's exciting for us is not only do we have the big MGA within the group, if you look at our reinsurance business, we are incredibly, incredibly strong on that MGA. We're absolutely back to my numero uno. That is where we're number one. With what Tiger got, with what Howden has got, what we've got the original with the Burwoods, we're bringing that all together under one business. That business, I think I'm writing Rod saying it's got six billion six of billion premium. premium. Six yeah. billion of MGA premium. No one else has anything like that. Yeah. You know what this does too is it brings deeply experienced professionals. This isn't somebody who's doing this as a hobby. You know, this is what they do all day long. So they're experts in their field. And the difference that makes for a client in that space is dramatic. Presumably you're going to have all the analytics, going to have everything so that any of your brokers out there, perhaps trying to source new paper for an MGA, are going to be able to have everything. If you look at how MGAs have developed, and I was talking at the MGA conference here in the UK the other day, and I was saying, I can remember when we set up MGAs, we were like the chewing gum on the bottom of the shoe. You couldn't get it off the bottom. <laughs> and now no one talks about MGAs like that. And so they're attractive to brokers for, for products, to clients for products, but to capital markets. So we're going to bring capital markets to them. We're going to bring underwriting expertise. Strategic advisory. Yeah, everything, yeah. the whole gamut. Who else has got that? And also really understands Rod's point, really understands MGAs. I think that space, the fastest growing space, is going to really be one where we're going to add huge value. And as I said, I think critical to me, it's not value just to actually existing clients, it's to how we grow our market. And this has been such an incredibly fast growing class. One of the big themes of the podcast, of doing this podcast for nearly three years now, the MGA, the growth of the MGA and this hybrid carriers and all of this have all seems to be part of the same thing. Do you see this as a secular thing or is it something that's cyclical? Because obviously it is cyclical because obviously by early 90s, MGAs had absolutely blown out. You know, they'd had a great 80s and they'd kind of partied too hard and then they were completely blown out. And then, yeah, you went absolutely as a countercurrent to start to prove that you could do it. And now we seem to be absolutely at the sort of top of the roaring 20s and we're not sort of heading for some 1929 kind of crash. I don't know that you're going to see a crash like that. I think they're here to stay. And I think part of it is what I would call the capital light model, which has gained popularity around the business. So I think it's high quality underwriting teams and then matching them with the best capital to fit the risk. And it makes plenty of sense, right? It's just common sense. Will they move in cycles? Absolutely. But there's some massive MGAs out there that rival any insurance company from a size perspective. You're seeing now actually people moving from a balance sheet model to a hybrid model. And MGAs, I think, are absolutely here to say it. And insurers, you know, dual deals now with 
70 different insurers around the world, insurers who would have first of all seen MJ as a competition, now see them absolutely as a critical strategic part of their play, both in terms of distribution, underwriting expertise. And I think the good MGAs, and let's be honest, only the good ones are going to survive, now have all that ability, Rod's point totally, ability to attract real talented underwriters, which is critical, ability to actually invest you know, heavily in data and digital, and therefore good distribution, ability to spread the risk, a lot of people like that, difficult, challenging classes. Very often the insurers like to not put the whole balance sheet out there. So I don't think MGAs are on some sort of high they're going to slip down from market. I think they are the future. I suppose if they were going to have a shakeout in this hardening market of the last three years, they would have had the shakeout. In fact, we have had a shakeout. We have had a shakeout, yeah. Look at some of the insurance techs that weren't saying anything other than air. Which are effectively MGAs, so yeah. a lot of them, right? But no, it's interesting. I had a client, large client, say to me the other day, they were having a hard time keeping their top underwriting talent because people were gravitating to MGAs. Is it because they can get equity and that kind of reward? I'm sure it's a variety of things, but definitely that's one of them, you know, equity upside. Well, we're talking on this subject about distribution. What's your view? One for- of his favorite topics, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is yeah. what a broker does a lot of the time, right? So it's your, it's your core business. What's your view on reinsurance in that distribution chain? Other reinsurance brokers are making a big play of reinsurance being part of almost like the manufacturing unit, the kind of lab that will go and create some fantastic new products and then fire them out into the retail division all over the world to say, right, here's a really cool new cyber product that has coverages that no one else has got. Off you go. Is that a sort of opportunity that you're looking to pursue? Distribution is pointless unless you've got a product that someone wants to buy. And you know what we've spent decades building now is a business to service clients. And to do that, you need all sorts of different dynamics in that. And ultimately, that's why we built a, a distribution retail business, but then a specialty business. And of course, reinsurance is a critical part of that. I mean, without the reinsurance, you're not going to deliver the ultimate products to the clients that need it. So to me, it's a whole market and you're doing it all for one reason and one reason only, that's to develop products for clients and for insurance being relevant. It's a great point. And I think of it as blurring the lines, which again, makes so much sense to me. Why be this unique, specialized little reinsurance person when there's a huge worldwide marketplace out there? The Howden franchise allows us to take the most talented people and blur the lines and bring their best work, whatever the market is. It was a good point about not having a good product. You wouldn't want to be a car dealer for a Leyland cars in the 1970s when all, you know, all the Japanese imports were wiping the floor with you. So it's definitely about that. We might sort of have people in white coats with Howden Tiger badges on manufacturing products that you retail arm really Well, really we want. come back to the point you raised, Mark, earlier about why are we so excited about the scale and size and relevance of our MGA practice? That is all about product development. That's all about delivering products to clients. I think it's exactly the same on the insurance broking side. I think ultimately we're going to grow our business and grow and bring some solutions that we need. And there's quite challenging times out there. We've got to use all our force. And I think it's not just reinsurance, it's capital markets. What has Tiger also right. got? It's kind of outstanding capital markets, but you need capital to have insurance. So it's bringing all all together, but critically in an aligned fashion. If we've got a strength that sets us apart from all of our competition, it's the talent we've got is actually aligned. Three and a half thousand of us owners in the business. The alignment there with people pulling together in the same direction for clients rather than ripping each other apart. 
is the massive differential. So it's things like there's a big shortage in cyber capacity or cyber capacity that will cover the things that people Put really want to cover. Put your best minds in the group together on cyber, whether they're treaty reinsurance, facultative, analytics, retail broking, markets, whatever it is, get the best minds together to solve that problem and allow the talent to cross-pollinate with each other. This afternoon, I was with Rob and Tim and Elliot and then our retail guy, all spinning ideas of how can we now grow our markets by coming together. I think that's the exciting thing. You look at, you know, our organic growth this year as a group is in the mid twenties. You don't do that unless you're developing new products, selling new products. That's not just on the back of a market. And that's to me, the exciting thing, Mark. The last time we spoke on the podcast with Rob, I was asking about what might the future hold for Tiger and Rob said, oh, we get asked that all the time. And he was saying, well, and I don't think a strategic deal would ever really be the right thing. What kind of changed your mind? Is it meeting this guy? Well, I think you were using the word strategic very precisely. (laughs) 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 I think at the time we were really talking- Do you mean big three taking- Yeah, I think you you were talking, we were talking to Aon Willis and the idea of ever doing that sort of transaction didn't make sense for us. As you hear David talk, the number one thing we talk about is aligning people and teams. So the natural fit here and that width that I talked about, it made so much sense. But yeah, that was really just some takeout where the business gets obliterated and half the people lose their jobs or leave. And actually, if you go back to your Benfield question, Mark, I mean, I, I wasn't at Benfield Road Wars, but what I was aware of, that the, really one of the challenges Benfield has is they didn't have an insurance broking business. They tried to start one, yeah. they took some garages on, that burned a lot of cash. I think the really exciting thing about this is it's actually two businesses with very similar cultures and DNA, all about the people, but that fit together incredibly well. So I wouldn't call this a strategic acquiring tiger. This is two really entrepreneurial businesses getting together and properly having a fit. There's no clash. There's no people getting upset or leaving. It's actually quite the opposite between us. I think hundreds of people have joined in the last 12 months. Why would you and, want and to work it, for someone else? Inbound you in, work increase for going up, Yeah, you know, just becoming a more exciting place. Also, we talked about the commonality, culture as a competitive advantage. You know, we talked about what was happening in the lobby here today and the energy of the people. And we think the same way. And I really absolutely believe that, you know, culture is a competitive advantage and we'll continue to improve that as we go. David, I've spoken to you hundreds of times. A common encounter would be the morning after you've just bought another broker somewhere in the world, often on the retail side. And often you'll tell the story that this is someone, it's someone that you've been actually already dealing with for 15 to 20 years. So what's the case with Rod? How long ago did you get to know him? How long have you been chatting? You're right, because what you're really saying is we don't ever really do deals, sacred deals. We yeah, only we, we really get comfortable with people it's first, so right? And they fit. Yeah. And to Rod's point totally, what's the first bit? Is, does it fit culturally? And Rod and I did meet quite a few years ago. I think we knew that there was a natural fit between the businesses. It was, to some extent, obvious at the time it was right now. You know, that, that was then. When once we started talking, it happened very, very quickly because the moment was now. But were we talking to any other one else about buying their insurance business? No. There was no one else we were interested in. And we weren't either. No. And it was, yes, we can continue to build this ourselves, but this is really compelling. It actually is sort of funny. I think it was about four years, four years ago. Yeah. yeah. Whenever Meghan Markle was getting married, 
we had a lunch at Cliveden Castle or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Her whole wedding party happened to be there. So I show up <laughs> and there's hundreds of police and tourists and I'm sort of about security for us. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and we had a wonderful lunch, saw the complimentary nature of the business. And then somehow somebody got wind of it. Maybe one of your former publications. And we just said, you know what? It's not the right time yeah. right now. And then we got together again, I don't know, a year ago, something like that, and had a handful of conversations. I was in London, went up to David's house for dinner one evening, still very curious and learning and with a couple other senior tigers and walked away and said, you know, this is really compelling. And then it was very quick from there. So David, from a strategic point of view, you've said before actually that multiples don't matter that much. You'll remind me in which context you said that, but it was a headline I read. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. A multiple don't matter. My chairman, Mr. Collins, loves, loves me for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> but do you view viewing this deal in a much longer time frame where it, hopefully it won't matter as long as you grow? Joking apart, I've always said that multiples don't matter, you know, and there's all those expressions you get, prices, what you pay, value, what you get, you know. Ultimately, if you're buying good businesses, it's about long-term value you're creating. Uh, and the value you create, the value you create together, is not the value you're buying today. And if you look at our two businesses, what they are today is very interesting, but they're not what they're going to be in five years' time. If you're a multiple arbitrage person that's looking to flip the business on the three, five years, multiples matter a hell of a man. Indeed, EBITDA is a, how normalized it matter. For us, it's about are these two businesses fitting together and can we together attract more talent in, grow the business when you've got, and the answer to that is yes. And therefore, actually the value you're creating is well beyond any discussion about, about price. You're not taking a risk now that you're not leveraging the business up too much? At the moment? We've always had a conservative view on leverage because we've got so many people in this business, Mark, as you know, you know, they've built their livelihoods around it. Three and a half thousand people working in it, you know, shareholders. We've never had a high risk problem. We want a conservative leverage. Our leverage has always sat between about four and five times. We don't pay out any dividends or all the money we make as a firm gets reinvested back in the business, reinvested very often back into employing talented people. So ultimately, you know, if you look at the business today, we're in an incredibly strong financial position. I've just touched upon it, you know, this is going to be our best year ever, probably for pure organic growth, probably mid-20s organic growth, stripping out any M&A. We saw with the market, you know, we did this deal. I remember you phoning me out, Rod. I literally, we'd shaken on the deal and that next day, Russia invaded Ukraine. Yeah. You, and I said, it's going to be fine. You know, and our three investors, CDBQ, HGGA, all stood up right up to the plate. They've invested hundreds of millions of new equity into the business. How many investors, yeah, have been with us since 2013, you know? How many new investors 10 years in put in hundreds of new equity. So we are incredibly financially secure. We've hedged the interest rates on the debt we have. Our interest cover is many, many times. So, you know, ultimately we're not a risky business. We're 30 years old now and we're highly conservative. And what about you, Rod? I mean, obviously now you and the Tigers, when this completes, are going to be substantially wealthier than when you first started. And you're realizing a lot of that hard work that you've put in the last, correct me exactly how many years, 12, 13 years now? 14 years. 14 years, you see, time flies. Amazing. What's your motivation now, if I'm like the director of the scene? What's going to keep you fired up into the future to realize some of this dream with David? You've known me for a long time. I don't think I'm going anywhere, <laughs> right? I really love the business we built. I love what the combined platform has in store for itself. And so it's going to be fantastic. Interesting part about this deal. One of the things I loved the most was the Howden stock. 
because I think it's highly valuable. So we are actually reinvesting a significant amount of the proceeds, everybody, into Howden stock. And I think we've got a highly motivated team. Yes, I'm sure there's one or two people, you know, is it a lifestyle change possibly, maybe, but highly motivated team that has a significant amount invested in the Howden future. So there'll be some nicer cars in the car park as you come in. Possibly. But you know, to what David was saying in terms of multiples, we were talking about it, I don't know, a month or two ago. So if you look at the multiple at the beginning of the year, whenever we announced it, and now look at where Tiger <laughs> is today, it's a very fair price. And I think we'll continue to grow. So you're buying a good asset at a fair price. As long as you keep growing at these right. kind of rates, right. you're not going to have to worry too much. The businesses themselves have their own energy by themselves. You can see that. Look at the success of Tiger. Look at the success of Howden. High, high organic growth because we're winning new business. So that's to start with. But when you add on to that, Mark, what do those two businesses look like for the new talent that wants to join? Okay. Then that's when you really accelerate. When other people look around and say, you know what? That is a business I'd like to work in. And actually, to your point about the cars and the car park, they say, you know what? That's a business owned by the people working in the business. And I want to be part of that rather than someone who's trained. I want to have that car. Yeah, I want to work for myself (laughs) rather than for a PLC. (laughs) And there's an incredible alternative where I'm empowered to actually get on and do my job. I think that's where the real turbo growth comes in. And we're seeing that. I started this business with three people. We've now got 12,000 people in this business bar. It's a lot of people who have joined us for a reason. You asked about where that joke came about, price doesn't matter. And it was actually with the Aston Lark deal. And, you know, their Peter Blanc call us his forever home. And I think we are time and time again, as with Rod, proving that people want to come and join us to build long-term value in their careers. Am I right to get the impression from both of you, to a certain extent, that it's not just about money? You like kind of winning this game, don't you? I think Look at him. He's like com- <laughs> <laughs> I think you well, well, you're both quite competitive, shall we say. Yeah, and I think being around highly talented people is exciting to feed off that energy. So, yes, there's nobody going anywhere. We're going to have a great time. I genuinely think for those of us in this business who love it, there's an opportunity at the moment to build something really different and really special. And God, no, it's not about the money mark anymore. It really, really isn't. That would be very <laughs> sad if that wasn't what it's about. It's about, you know, actually creating something, but also for the industry, to be honest with you. I think that's exciting. And just to add on, I think the challenge for us where we'd have to pay a lot of attention is making sure it's always different, right? That's where we have to drive. And just, you you can never fall into that trap of just being sort of like the other people. You've got to continue to make the business different. Well, that was the next question. Obviously, the other risk is a cultural risk. What's the risk that 12,000, 24,000 people, whatever it is. 50,000. You know, so (laughs) the numbers start to get very, very large and have lots of noughts at the end and zeros everywhere. How do you guard against that kind of complacency of culture? Look, Rod said early on, it is our competitive advantage culture. It's the most valuable thing we have. So we focus on it all the time. You've asked me that question, Mark, over the years, and I've been asked, can you help the culture of 100 people, 1,000 people? Ultimately, we know that the culture of the business is what makes us different. And it's not to do with our size or our scale. We're trying to build in a way the biggest small company mentality you could possibly find. And Rod's right. What we've got to keep going is keep the energy, keep the dynamic, keep changing it, keep motivating it be the people that are shaping the future. It's one of those things where new people come to Tiger 
and we tell them it's all about the team. It's all about the team. It's all about the team. And they sort of smile and they look at you like, of course, you're going to say that, but I don't really fully believe you. And you see them two months later and they say, holy smokes, I've never seen an organization so team focused. To your point, we hammer it all the time. I think both of us do. And it's going to be continuing to maintain that discipline. And it gets harder and harder the more you grow. No question about it. You want your top tips? How do you do it? A lot of it is about, honestly, how you actually treat people. If you empower people and you treat them well, you do that. And then you tell them, you like to be treated like that. Treat others like that. So that's the first thing, that culture of what is management style? What's leadership in this group? Is everyone managing? I'll give you an example. I won't say who it is, the CEO of a business internationally who joined us. I went to see him, flew to see him. He said, I can't believe it. Where, the last place I was, 70% of my time was managing upwards. I never hear from you guys at all. He said, I've got so much time on my hands to deal with clients, to deal with my stuff. You know, so I think a lot of it is the way the businesses are shaped in the first place. We we're not about managing upwards in this business. It's all about empowerment. Then secondly, owning the business yourself. We're three and a half thousand people owning the business. We're building this business. Yeah, we've got some long-term problems with this. But if you're building the business for yourself and you're incentivizing people to do that, that has a very strong alignment factor in it. And I think that the third thing is you've got to choose your partners. We haven't actually done a lot of deals. We've done a hundred deals in 30 years. You get the wrong people in, then the bad apples spread. And you said before, one of the attractions not working for a PLC. So that's still definitely off the menu and you, you still, you can keep going. We can keep going. We can keep going. You know, I've been saying for a while. You look at the private, forget insurance generally. If you look at it, there 25% less. Yeah, broadly, there's yeah. so much money out there now that's non public. In fact, there's 25% less public companies than there were 10 years I ago. I suppose that you either get income or you get a capital gain at some point as an investor, if you're an investor in Howden. At some point, you have to manage that, don't we, you? We have liquidity. Rod has decided, along with his team, to invest a huge amount of their money in the company. But every year, we have an internal market. If someone wants to sell some shares, buy a swimming pool, buy a bigger house, whatever else it is, we have to have liquidity in the business. It's not the never-never. So we have liquidity for the individuals in the business, and we always manage that. Last year, the company bought about 100 million pounds of the shares from, from our staff. So a huge liquidity going mark. And then the investors can get liquidity when they want to. You know, we've had a number over the years. That that's why not having one big investor with a big stake, we've got three with small minority stakes, they want to sell down a bit, they can do. So I always manage that, that whole liquidity profile, very important that. In the end, doesn't managing that take about as much work as running a PLC? It takes work, but it's a different type of work, isn't it? Because ultimately you're all you, very aligned. You do know who these people are. And you've told them what the journey is. You've said, come and join us. And you're on a five-year journey if you're trying to earn equity in the business. Or if you're an investor, sign up for seven years for us. Not sign up for one quarter. Seven years these people are signing up for us before they even think about liquidity. I've said, GA had been with us. 11, 12 years now. So it's a long-term view. Of course, you've got to manage the equity in the business because otherwise, why would someone be a shareholder? But I definitely think it's less work than a PLC having been on both sides of that and seen the amount of preparation for any quarter for a publicly traded company and the CEO's time and conference calls and investor calls. I mean, it's tiring enough just being a journalist having to cover it. Right, right. But <laughs> yeah, well, then you know, Mark, is exactly that, yeah. yeah, you free us up to actually do our jobs and find out interesting things rather than have to report everyone's quarterly results. I don't know if I've missed anything off my list of questions. No, I think, Mark, you've been very thorough, covered everything. So appreciate that. And we look forward to seeing you in Monte Carlo. Absolutely. And we look forward to seeing you again 
on The Voice of Insurance. Thank you so yes. much. No, thanks for having us. Great Bye. to see you. Thanks, Bob. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this programme. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. The Voice of Insurance podcast is produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling enterprise-scale underwriting through a single pane of glass. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com. <laughs>